have you ever been promised something and then that individual reneges or takes back that promise? It, it, it normally happens when something comes up, right? The situation or the circumstances change and it prevents that person from carrying out what they promised. And while their reason might be reasonable, it still causes us to mistrust that individual. Well, if you are here last week, you know that we looked at a promise that God made to Adam and Eve, that he was going to redeem or to set right all that, that mankind had broken by sinning, by rebelling against him. But then just a few chapters later, circumstances change and not for the better. Uh, see, after Adam and Eve were expelled from the Garden of Eden, humanity quickly spiraled out of control. They are killing one another, enslaving one another. And Genesis 6-5 tells us that things got so bad that when the Lord looked out over the earth, he saw that every intention and thought of man was evil all the time. And so God's response was pretty drastic. He floods the world. And so tonight what we're going to do is look at the most violent story in all the Old Testament, Noah and the Flood. And I think if we weren't so familiar with this tale of almost total annihilation, we would be really unsettled by it. Because it seems like God is changing his promise. That circumstances have the power to change the way God responds to us. That God can renege on his promises. And that's a big problem for us. And, and so what we're going to do is look at the story of Noah and the flood, which really spans Genesis 6 through 9. Uh, and I want us to see three things in this passage. I want us to see the emotion of God here, the character of God, and then how we should respond to the God we see in this, in this story. And we're going to start with the emotion of God because I, I want to dispel a myth that's often attached to natural disasters or what insurance companies used to call acts of God. That God brings these about out of anger or because he's vindictive. We think he might be like uh, the kid at the beach who's excluded from playing with the sandcastle. And so he, he tramples it. He destroys it. Because if he can't play, ain't nobody going to play. Or worse, he, he's like a kid with a magnifying glass, frying little ants just because he can, for the, for the sheer pleasure of it. But I want you to look at verse 6. So, so verse 5, God sees... That, um, that every intention of man's heart is evil continually. And this is how the Lord responds. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him in his heart. He's grieved. He is saddened at the state of his creation. See, God is really invested in the well-being of his creation. Like, imagine if you were a gardener and you had this beautiful flower. Like, you've invested a lot of time and energy to see it grow, but now there are these pesky little bugs that are just nibbling away at all the leaves, and there's, there's weeds trying to take away nutrients and choke out the flower. What are you, as a concerned, invested gardener, going to do? Well, you're going to get some bug killer. You're going to start pulling weeds. You're going to remove the stuff that is ruining the flower because you care about it. And that is God's commitment to his creation here. He could have just wadded up the earth and everything in it like a piece of paper, tossed it in his cosmic trash bin, and started over. 
but instead, out of care for his creation, he removes the thing that was ruining it. And, and so I, I need us to see, see and understand that God is responding emotionally here. Yes, but that's a good thing because it's a testament to his investment in care. Care that drives him to act in drastic ways for the good of his creation. But there is a big problem here if you're the problem, right? Like, if you're the leaf-eating bug, if you're the weed, the gardener's care is a problem for you. Likewise, God flooding the world is good for everything except the actual problem for man. And, And if God wipes out all of mankind, then he is... In effect, reneging on his promise in Genesis 3 to crush the serpent and make things right. And so it's, it's important that we not just look at his emotion here in this passage, but we also need to take into account his character. And, and we see this most clearly in his solution to both rid the world of pervasive evil and keep his promise. And that was to spare Noah and his family with the construction of a boat. And when I say boat, I mean a very big boat. Now, depending on your translation, it might say feet, but it will probably say cubit. Now, a cubit is a unit of measure that you probably didn't have in math class. It's about 18 inches. And I say about because as far as we know, they weren't walking around with 18-inch rulers. What they did have was arms. And so if you measure on on a grown adult male from the tip of his middle finger to his elbow, it's almost always 18 inches. Go home and try it on your father. Um... And so the point is simply this. The boat was big, right? It was 450 feet. That is a large vessel. And so God's plan is to pile Noah and his family and two of every land animal onto board this boat and flood the world. That's his solution. And this is normally where we start to have a problem with his solution because it doesn't seem fair, right? Surely God could have come up with another way that wasn't so destructive, And maybe he could have. But the issue here is not God's plans, but our perception of his plans. We think that God should be obligated to be fair. And he is not fair in this passage. In fact, he's not fair anywhere in scripture. See, and that's actually a good thing. Because if God gave us what we deserve, if we were to fight for our rights, so to speak, the Bible tells us we would all be in hell tonight. That's what we deserve. And so, yes, God is unfair, but he's unfair in the opposite way that we think he is. See, the question shouldn't be, why didn't he save more people? The question really should be, why did he save anyone? And the answer is his character, that he is a faithful God. When he makes a commitment, a promise, he keeps it. See, there's this question that subtly pervades every chapter of this account. It's, is God going to be faithful to his promise despite the changing circumstances? In fact, every scene change in this story ends with an implicit question mark. Will God remember his promise to Adam and Eve despite humanity's wickedness? Yes. Will God keep his promise to Noah that he is sending a flood even though it will take a while? Yes. Will God keep his promise to look after Noah as the ark floats along day after day with no land in sight? Yes. And will God keep his promise to establish his covenant with Noah? Yes. Because God 
is a faithful God. And the greatest expression of this faithfulness is found in Jesus. Again and again, the Bible tells us that we are all sinners, that the flood is coming. But God, in his love and faithfulness, has provided an ark, if you will, the way that we might, both, we might be both cleansed and spared. It's because of God's faithful commitment to us that Jesus lived a perfect life and died a sinner's death, the death that you and I deserved. See, God was faithful to save Noah and his family uh, through a wooden boat, and he is likewise faithful to provide a way for us to be saved through Jesus on a wooden cross. And because God's faithfulness is dependent on himself and his work, it will never change. God's not going to decide one day that he no longer wants to be committed to you or that the circumstances have gotten too bad in your life, and so he's changing the terms of the deal. God is faithful to his promises and his people. And that should cause us to respond to him in a specific way. That we should respond to him in faith. Now, faith means to be in total dependence on someone or something. It's more than knowing the truth. It's more than agreeing with the truth. It's building your life upon the truth. It's saying that if this truth turns out to be untruth, I am ruined and should be pitied by everyone. And if you've grown up in the church, you're nodding your head like, yep, that's what faith is. That's how we should respond to God. And yet it's much more difficult to do than we normally realize. And Noah demonstrates that for us. I don't know if you've ever seen how the, the story of Noah is illustrated in a kid's Bible, but it's normally drawn something like this. On page one, you have Noah alone, holding plans from God, whistling while he works with a big smile on his face. And then the next page, you got the ark completed, and Noah is like trying to push the elephant in the ark or something like that. And that kind of plays into how we think it played out. That, that, that Noah's task was easy, quick, enjoyable, and absolutely reasonable. And it was none of those things. Guys, do you realize it took Noah 150 years to build the ark? 150 years. Every day, he and his sons would go out and build this massive boat because God said, once, there's a flood coming. And I guarantee you that Noah and his family building an ark was the farthest thing from reasonable for those around him. Like, imagine if you started building like a NASA-sized rocket in your backyard because God told you that a meteor was coming to destroy the planet. How would your neighbors and your friends respond? My guess is that they would ridicule you, especially as you're standing up on the rocket, inviting them to help you build it, to come sit in the rocket with you. And yet, we have to realize that Noah didn't just build the ark out in the middle of nowhere. See, 2 Peter 2.5 tells us that Noah was a herald. He was a preacher of righteousness. That part of his building effort was to repeatedly call to his neighbors, his mocker, his, his tormentors, to get on the ark, to be saved. And I guarantee you, he looked absolutely absurd doing it. So why would he ever do that? Why would he subject himself to that type of ridicule for a hundred plus years? It's because he was convinced 
of the faithfulness of God. Because he believed that if God said it, then it would happen, so he did what God called him to do. See, guys, God's going to call us, to call you to do some hard things for him, some things that will, that will make you look crazy and ridiculous to those who don't know him. And, I, and the only way that you're going to be able to do those things is to have faith like Noah, to be convinced of God's faithfulness to you. And so here's the point, that, that when the waters rise, when, the, when circumstances and currents change, God remains ever faithful. Therefore, we need to respond in faith to him. Mm-hmm.